You know, Jesus was a lot of things, and he continues to be a lot of things to those of us who count ourselves as followers of him. You know, he is our Savior. He is our Redeemer, our Lord. He's the King, the Sent One, the Son of God, divinity with skin on. But, you know, 2,000 years ago, to those who walked with him day in and day out, to those who knew him best and lived in the flow of just everyday rhythms with him, Jesus was also called rabbi. You know, we find him being referred to as rabbi throughout the gospels. 14 times he's called rabbi. 40 times he's called teacher, which is what rabbi means. And other times he's called master because that's essentially what a rabbi was. They were masters of the scriptures. They were masters of the Torah. They were masters of the Psalms and the prophets and applying it all to the way in which a person lives. They were really, they were masters of life. I love this quote by Brian McLaren. He puts it this way. It says, Jesus was master of making the music of life and not just with wood and string, tuners and frets, but with skin and bone, smile and laughter, shout and whisper, time and space, food and drink. And then he invited his disciples to learn to do the same, to make the music of life themselves and to become masters of life themselves. Of course, Living into this and, and even becoming a rabbi was not something that happened overnight. It was actually a long process. And, you know, for a long time, I was under the impression, you know, just because the Gospels don't speak a lot directly to Jesus's younger years that we didn't, we don't really know much about his early years growing up. Uh, but that's actually not true. Um, we actually know more now about the world in which Jesus grew up and, and the kind of culture and, and life that the things that formed him, uh, than we've ever known before. Jesus was, uh, he grew up a young Jewish boy with young Jewish friends in a Jewish community, studying the Jewish scriptures, singing Jewish songs, learning from Jewish rabbis and worshiping the Jewish God. Right, we know that as a young Jewish boy, that his education in the scriptures would begin very early at age six. Now, you got to remember the Jewish people were often a beaten down and oppressed people. Uh, they were always, um, it seemed, in conflict with an empire that was bigger and badder than them. And when Jesus is growing up for 70 or so years, the biggest, baddest empire the world has ever known, Rome, has taken their land. Right? They, they are in a militarized zone, and Rome's presence and threat is, is always right there. And so there's always, this, there's always this threat for the Jewish people that Rome was going to squash them um, at, 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 at the worst, and at best, potentially swallow them up, and they would potentially lose their, their culture and their heritage and their faith. So they took the education of kids very, very seriously. And so Jesus, at the age of six, would have began his education in what's called Beth Suffer. And this was like 
uh, almost like elementary school. It's the first of three levels of potential Jewish education in the scriptures. And it was, it, it was intense. Uh, in fact, the goal for these six to 10-year-olds was for them, first order of business was to memorize the first five books of the Bible or the Pentateuch. They would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And remember, you know, a village would have maybe one uh, rabbi or one rabbi that was at a small group of villages. And oftentimes they might have just one copy of the scriptures. And so they would, in this oral tradition, they would speak the scriptures and write the scriptures and sing the scriptures to drive it deep into their hearts. On the first day of school, oftentimes rabbis who were these kind of eccentric, quirky, uh, passionate, captivating teachers would give the kids some honey, which was kind of like a special treat. Apparently kids back there love sugar as much as my kids do. And they would give them some honey and the rabbi would begin to share about how the words of God are sweeter than honey to the lips. And the, the rabbi would sing and dance. And if you can just imagine young Jesus watching the rabbi sing, tasting the honey on his lips, his heart pounding, his eyes wide as he hears the heart of his heavenly father being spoken about and sung about. And he's just learning and soaking it all up like a little sponge. And this was what it looked like age six to 10, day in and day out, immersing themselves in the scriptures. Now, when they turned 11, for most kids, uh, their, their Jewish education or formal education was done. Uh, unless you were the brightest of the bright, most kids were told, uh, all right, well done, you're finished. And most kids would return home uh, to their families and they would focus then on preparing for marriage, uh, learning the family trade, right? Whether it be farming or, or fishing or masonry, carpentry, and they would be done. But for the brightest, for students like Jesus, they would continue their education for the next few years in what's called Beth Talmud, which is ages 11 to 14. And their first order of business was, get this, memorizing the entire Old Testament. Genesis all the way through to Malachi. I, I looked in my, my Bible I have here in front of me uh, just for fun to see about how much that is. And in my Bible with very uh, small print, it's about a, just shy of a thousand pages. But they would soak it up and memorize all of it. And in this time of study, it wasn't just about having the right answers. They would begin to learn the rabbinic art of asking questions, of walking through the text and around the text, of, of debating with one another and asking questions that suggest the answer. And rather than give the answer, they'd ask another question and they would learn. It wasn't just about having, uh, you know, right answers, but now it turned to right thinking. Right? They would learn how to internalize the words of God and to apply them masterfully to the stuff of everyday life.
that when those students turned 14, again, the vast majority of them were done. But for a tiny little percent, those who just might have what it takes to be a rabbi one day could continue on to Beth Midrash, which means house of study. And if they were given permission, they could then approach a rabbi and ask an interview to become one of their Talmudim, one of the, their disciples who would learn from them. And this was a grueling interview process. And here's why. This is so big for us who are followers of Jesus, who are a part of his Talmudim. What were rabbis looking for? Rabbis were looking for someone who could carry on their legacy as a rabbi. Right, somebody who could carry on and pass down their own life, their way of living, their way of applying the scriptures, what we call their yoke, uh, their particular ministry to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Rabbis were looking for someone, get this, who could become just like them. This is why we have passages like Luke 640, where it says things like this. The student or the disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Right? This was the whole goal. Right? Which means, at the very least, for those of us who are disciples of this rabbi Jesus, we got to understand what the invitation actually is. <laughs> because Jesus does not invite his followers to be fans in the, in the stands applauding him, right? He does not ask for people to come and just learn some things or to, to grow and amass more theological knowledge or, you know, simply attend weekly religious events and check that off the list. No, 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 no. The invitation has always been and will always be to come under Rabbi Jesus, and to be fundamentally changed to become just like him. Which, of course, makes sense then why rabbis were so picky. Right? Because they were wondering at any given moment, does this kid have what it takes? Can they make the cut, right? Can they carry the yoke? Can they carry on my legacy? And as a result, every student longed to hear those words out of the lips of their rabbi, Lahakarai, come follow me. And for the few who did hear those words, they would begin to walk in the footsteps of their rabbi. I mean, I'm talking literally day in, day out. They would watch how their rabbi did everything, and they would mimic 
his every step. So if they are walking alongside a road and the rabbi did something as small as bend over and pick up a blade of grass and put it in his mouth, the Talmudim, the disciple, would do the exact same thing. He would follow behind him, bend over, pick up a blade of grass, and put it in his mouth. If the rabbi walked over to a fig tree and pulled off a fig and smelt it, and before he took a bite, the disciple would walk over and do the exact same thing right behind him. He would pick off a fig and smell it, and then take a bite. The Talmudim, the disciple, would watch the way the rabbi walked. They would listen and study to the way that he prayed. They would follow him and mimic his every move, the blessings that he would pronounce, the rhythms of his life, the way that he studied the scriptures, all of it. They would seek to do right behind them and mimicking their every step. And out of this came an ancient blessing. And the blessing is this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? May you follow so closely on his heels, right behind him that all of the stuff of his life would get kicked up and covered. Now, the harsh reality is that not everybody made the cut. In fact, most didn't. It was not uncommon, even for those who were given the invitation to follow initially, uh, it was not uncommon for at some point along the way for the rabbi to stop and to tell the disciple, look, I know you're, you are a studied person and, and a person who loves the word of God, who loves the Lord, but I don't think that this is for you, right? And so you need to go home, learn a trade, get married, have kids, and pray someday that your kids could become rabbis. Right? This, this is what happened to most, right? And so when we come to moments like in Matthew 4, and Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they're fishing and casting a lake into the net because they're fishermen. Jesus says those precious words, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And we're told at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, I always thought that, that there must have been a Jedi mind trick going on here. Like, it's just so bizarre that they would respond with such urgency and, and even leave, uh, you know, potentially a father and family behind. But we have to remember just how precious this was. Like, this did not happen. Like, rabbis did not go invite people to follow him. You had to perform. You had to progress through the educational system. You had to show that you were the best of the best, the brightest of the bright, the sharpest of the sharp. And maybe, just maybe, when you beg a, a rabbi to let you follow, maybe they'll say yes, but even then you're probably going to go home. And then this rabbi Jesus, amongst there's all this buzz about him, and he's, he's powerful, and he's anointed and people are coming from everywhere to hear what he has to say. And he says to these fishermen, they're fishermen, which means we know at the very least they didn't make the cut. He says, come follow me. And at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. These two who had perhaps thought for their, their entire lives, I'm not good enough. I'm not bright enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have what it takes. And Jesus says, let's go.
You know, there's only two rabbis in history who ever went out to recruit their own Talmudim. Only two. The first is Hillel, who said this. He said, God can make a disciple out of anyone. And the second is Jesus. You know, who say to his Talmudim when they're struggling with doubt, right? When they're discouraged, when they're wondering, do I really have what this takes? Can I really do this? Can I re really become like him? Can I really carry this yoke? Maybe I need to go home. Who says something like, you need to remember something. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I am not like any other rabbi you've ever known. You, you didn't have to prove yourself to me. You didn't have to go through the channels. You did not have to, to beg to follow after me. You have to remember that I chose you. I believe in you, that you have what it takes to follow in my footsteps, to carry my yoke, to further my ministry, to become just like me. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but one of the things that I, I love about our Rabbi Jesus is he seems to take special delight in calling the not good enough. Have you ever noticed this? Like people who are mending their nets, who didn't make the cut, people who think that they have no chance with God, they're not smart enough, they're not spiritual enough, they don't come from the right family, fishermen, tax collectors, women, right? Women who were often in the power chain uh, considered to be just above cattle, who were often mistreated and, and overlooked, who couldn't even testify in court because their word wasn't deemed reliable. And this Jesus calls to women like Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna, La Hakurai, come follow after me. Right, or the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures, who's up to her eyeballs in sin, who's had several husbands, and now she's living with somebody else who has a reputation for being a bad girl from the wrong side of town who cannot be trusted. And Jesus makes his way to her and invites her to be a part of his ministry. And she does. Oh, young and old, male, female, the wise and the unwise, Jesus calls. And you know, this, this rabbi, Jesus, he's still alive. And he's still, he's still calling Talmudim disciples to follow. Lahakarai, come follow me. And of course, the question for you and I, not just once, but every day, is will you follow? So I want to end with speaking over you this very simple but ancient blessing. And it's this. Friends, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
Grace and peace, friends.